and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. With me today is my wonderful co-host and wife, Haley. Hi there. This is, as I said, the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a tabletop games podcast where we talk about board games and card games and role-playing games and all kinds of games, as well as the time and the friends we hang out with at the table and the drinks we have and all that good stuff. And the cats who knock things over. And the cats who like to be interrupting during the podcast. Luckily, editing is amazing. But still, if you hear a cat in the background like I'm hearing right now, then you take a drink. Today is episode 15. This is a special episode for us. This is our very first sponsored episode. So this episode has been sponsored by Caper Games, especially Randall, the owner of Caper Games. We will go into the game we're talking about from them, but I just wanted to let everyone know up front, it is a sponsored episode. And we appreciate it. We really appreciate it. It's been awesome to work with somebody and kind of take the next step as a podcast and content creation brand. Yeah, and Randall's been very nice, too. He's been great to work with. He's been really nice, very communicative. Uh, We've had a lot of conversations back and forth about little things, and he's got input from us. So we've really liked the working relationship, and hopefully in the future, if they like what we do here, we get to do it again later on. So today, on to the beers. I think we're going to have to do odds and evens here. Uh, What's the name of that one? This one is the New Planet Pale Ale, and I chose it because it said gluten-free, and I was like, gluten-free beer that's not a cider. What? It's probably going to be disgusting, but that's okay. Yep. The other one is Full Sail Blood Orange Wheat Ale. It says it is ridiculously tasty. This is from Full Sail Brewing Company in Hood River, Oregon. Where's that one from? Uh, Colorado. All right, it just Colorado. says New Planet Pale Ale. Like I think that's the brand. It's New Planet. It's probably New Planet Brewing or something like that. There's no like nifty name for the beer. It's just Pale Ale. That's fine. Well, which one do you want to start with? I think we should play odds and evens to decide which one we drink first. All right, I'm down for that. So odds for yours, evens for mine? Yes. All right, odds is the New Planet Pale Ale. Evens is the Full Sail Blood Orange Wheat. Ready? One, two, three. Shoot. Shoot. Odds it is. Odds it is is the New Planet Gluten-Free Pale Ale. We'll see how this thing tastes. We got the Kitty Paw bottle opener. Oh, dang. Oh, Oh, God. God. Oh, God. It's all over the rug. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) All right. There's now beer all in my drum rug, thanks to Haley and her ridiculousness. What did I do? I honestly don't know. What do you hold? I'm gonna go get a towel. I got it. All right, pause. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you Jeffrey Lebowski by how often you complain about this rug from now on. This is my good rug, okay? This is my Meinl drum rug that you bought me as a present for something. And I love this rug. It's what my drum set sat on forever <laughs> until I put my drum set in the closet so I could have my games in here. And I love this rug. Where's your white Russian? Uh, I need something to wipe my hands off with and get the beer not sticky and wipe off the bottle opener. Here, will you help? I think this is lesson number one of just don't drink gluten-free beer. I mean... God does not want you to, as evidenced by what we just experienced. It's not supposed to happen, apparently, and I do not understand what just happened. Okay, there is no way that I could have caused that. That beer was sitting on the desk for like the past 35 years. Well, we can at least pour it and see. It smells good. It says it's made with brown rice. This is super carbonated. Oh my Jesus. You can't super see the glass, carb. but there's like a half an inch of beer. 
and about five and a half inches of foam. I think I poured mine way heavier than yours. We can swap a little if we need to. It's okay. I just have the rest of my pants. I'm going to talk a minute while I let the head on this beer go down. Jeez, that's ridiculous. So lately, we really haven't been up to too much. Just busy podcast things, video things, work. You know, we just had the Memorial Day weekend. We had three separate game days, pretty much. Three game days in one weekend. Which is good because our May game playing had been at a record low for the year. At one point, we played like nine games. It was terrible. It was super terrible. This weekend has got it up. I don't know what the number is, but it's much better than what it was. Yeah, we had, well, we had one Friday night with Brian and Jessica, then yep. Saturday with Mac and Cass. Yep. Hi, Mac and Cass. And then and s- hi, Brian. Sunday, we recorded stuff, and then Monday was Kyle and Alicia. We went up to Tulsa and spent the day with them because they only get off on like Mondays and Tuesdays or something. I gotta say hi to Brian, too. Can't interrupt me, because if I don't say hi to Brian, then he's gonna be mad, because he's my friend. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. It's gonna take him... I don't know. Actually, is he always caught up? It's Mac that's not caught up. Mac, how dare you? Yeah, Mac's always behind, like, two episodes, which is fine. I don't really care that much, but, you know. All right, I think the foam has gone down enough to sample this thing. Cheers? I guess. To you, Mr. Lebowski. It's a little funky. Almost has a slight sour taste to it, and sort of in the way that a tart, uh, like a tart beer, like a sour beer, does, except like it's not supposed to be there. Are we sure it's supposed to taste like this? I mean, this might have been in the dollar beer bucket for a reason. I honestly don't know. If you had to drink gluten-free, though, I could see putting up with it, maybe like squeeze some lime into it. But and I mean that it would, would help. kill the carbonation <laughs> a little it, bit. It, it would help cut some of this carbonation. Jeez, kind of smells like dirt. Yep, we're gonna choke this one down until we get to the next one, which hopefully that's what is she better. said. As you yell into the microphone for all the listeners, you always tell me to speak louder. Oh my god! Anyway, we had a good gaming weekend. It is now Wednesday after Memorial Day, so this will be coming out on Sunday after Memorial Day. And I can't believe it's almost June, which means it's almost July, which means it's almost Gen Con. I thought you were going to say it's almost June, which means it's almost my birthday. Well, I mean, that was in my tweet. I said it's almost it's the end of almost the end of May. It's almost June. It's almost my birthday. It's almost July. It's almost vacation time. It's almost Gen Con. Chucky cheese for my birthday. Chucky, Chucky, Chucky cheese for my birthday. Nobody on this podcast is going to know that song. Did you know that our Chucky e. cheese was like, shut down or something for a measles outbreak that was the one on northwest expressway yeah they had some kid that had measles or mumps or something i guess it was measles yeah went to to the chuck e cheese and they had to basically call every single person that they had a number for and contact them and put out huge alerts of if you were at the chuck e cheese on the northwest expressway in oklahoma city between this time and this time please go to a doctor or you will die well not if you're vaccinated you'll still be okay but it would suck. You would still be sick. I don't think they vaccinate for measles anymore. I think Cass was saying... Do they not? I think Cass messaged me if I'm wrong on this, but there have been some diseases they no longer vaccinate for, and I think she said that measles was one that you stopped getting vaccinations for in like 1992 because it was basically eradicated. And then people said, I'm not going to vaccinate my children, and it came back. Well, the... Yeah, basically. Correct me if I'm wrong, Cass, but I think that's, I think that's what she said. I mean, I think that sounds right. I'm not 100% sure. 
but that would still suck because Chuck E. Cheese is already kind of grody, and then just to learn you might have contracted measles, that's no fun. Chuck E. Cheese for your deathbed. Chuck E. Chuck E. Chuck E. Cheese for your deathbed. I took a drink of beer hoping it would help this situation with your singing, but ugh. I'm getting all those nice mouth noises of me like, it's drying me out. You sound like Steve when he takes a bath. By the way, if you hear like a jingling in the background, that is Steve, our cat, putting bottle caps underneath the door. There's now collection. He plays with bottle caps and rings from milk jugs back when we weren't vegan. And they're all around the house still, especially bottle caps because we still drink beer. And he plays fetch with them and everything. Well, anytime we record, he will poke them under the door and then reach his paw as far as he can and try to get them again. And it's, he's ridiculous. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. Just before we talk about this game, Haley has decided she cannot drink this gluten-free beer. We're not sure if it's just bad. One thing every single person should know about beer. Do not let beer sit in the sunlight. It is a huge problem in liquor stores because liquor stores are a high point of theft and robbery. And so they leave them with basically glass walls or huge windows to help prevent that. The problem being, they let in tons of sunlight. That is why beer bottles are normally darkened. And that's why cans are the best because the sunlight actually has this weird thing that it does with anything that has hops in it. And beer obviously is hopped. And it gives it this skunky taste and this soury taste. And if you set a beer outside in the sun, even in a dark glass, like a dark glass bottle, it will go bad. And you can taste it being different. It's the same with beer going hot to cold, hot to cold. Here in Oklahoma, we used to not have cold storage, which actually becomes active later this year. October blessed. It's going to be nice. Well, the thing is, beer wasn't shipped cold then because it was being delivered to warm facilities. So when a beer goes from cold to warm, to cold, and does that little, you know, back and forth, it's really bad on the beer and gives it gross tastes. So if you have facilities that keep it cold, ship it cold, and store it cold at the store, especially away from the sunlight as much as possible, or in cans, you will have better tasting beer. Tip number one. So for today's game, we are talking about, as I said, this is sponsored by Caper. Caper Games has a Kickstarter active right now. It started on May 29th. So as of this recording, it is the 30th. It has been on Kickstarter for two days. It is over 40% funded, which is awesome. I guess this is its second day. It is over 40% funded, which is amazing. Wow, 40% in only two days? Yeah, it's doing really well. That's That's awesome. That's very, very good for a Kickstarter to do. Uh, I think it's easily going to fund all the way for sure. But the game is called Vertium. It is a space opera, but short and sweet and to the point. That's kind of how they like to market it. So Veritium is on Kickstarter. This episode releases the third, so you still have a little while. I recommend going and backing it for sure. So the way the game is played, in the middle of the table, there are different planets laid out. It changes depending on the number of players. There is a solo variant. There is a one versus all variant. And then there is just the normal game where it's competitive, 100% competitive. There are multiple planets, like 5, 7, and 9, I believe, between 2, 3, and 4 players. We played 2-player and 3-player. Each of those planets has an orange moon assigned to it, face down, and those orange moons have different numbers. That is the value of the planet. So the story behind this game 
a group called the Complex came into our solar system and basically took over everything, so we fled. We found a little solar system. We basically hid out. We found some other galactic federations. There is the Mist and the Royal Martian Federation and the Hilo, and everybody's hiding out in this, in this solar system, and they discover this radioactive element called Vertium, and they learn that with this Vertium, they can basically power their weaponry, their cities, everything like that. So the idea behind the game is there's all these different planets. So in a two-player game, it's five, three-player is seven, four-player is nine. Each of these planets has a value. That value is how much Vertium you will get if you are the one to finish colonizing the planet for yourself. So the way the game plays, there is a deck of cards that everyone will get um, an initial starting hand from. Two cards will be flipped face up off that deck. On your turn, you pick one of those cards, and then if you have a set of three, so it's kind of a set collection style, if you get a set of three, you are able to play that set of three, you have to, and you get to place a colonization token on one of the planets, whichever one of your choice. Now, the set color depends on what kind of token you can place. There's the blue, like water, resource. There's the green agri, which is like agricultural, I guess, food, plants kind of thing. There is a red, which is like energy on the planet. And there is a yellow, which is metal, or I guess ore. So you can place one of those tokens on any planet you want to. Each planet has to have one of each of those four to be colonized. So one thing we really liked about this game is whenever you're placing these tokens, one thing we noticed is that it came down to each planet, or at least a lot of them, having two tokens on there. We were all in this like tense, stressful moment of, if I place the third token, somebody else is going to place the fourth, and they're going to take the planet I want. We are playing chicken. You really were playing chicken, and it's kind of a really cool thing. It's just nice and tense. You place down these tokens, and you're like, okay, I've got two blue in my hand and two green. If I draw a blue or a green, I can play on like the six-point planet. Well, the problem is, if you notice that six-point planet is missing a blue, and it's missing a green. And you play a blue on that planet, somebody else could have the green immediately after you and take that and colonize it for themselves. So it's got this really good tension that just kind of sets that part of the game into motion. And everybody's really, like Haley said, playing chicken. It's kind of a tug and war of who's going to place that third token because somebody will have that fourth taken if you do. And it's just this really nice moment you can have. I feel like, you know, with the two-player, it was intense, but with the three-player, man, I just felt like we were playing chicken the whole time. Because in the two-player, it's back and forth. Okay, I know that Delton just played his hand of cards a couple minutes ago, so he shouldn't have enough green cards to play green next round. And so if I play blue and green still needs to be placed, I don't think Delton has the resources to do that. But with three players, it's real easy, real quick to fill up your hand, and so Delton might have an empty hand, but Brian doesn't. And so he could snatch it from me a lot quicker. Plus, there's more anticipation for your next turn because you're waiting on two other people to play before you can. So you're like, oh my god, are they going to take my big cookie planet? And then they do, and they suck, even though they're your friends, Brian. Yeah, it is really neat. And <laughs> the cookie planet, there's one planet that we said looks like a snickerdoodle. I think it's kind of neat. I think it's like a, was it a deserty planet or just a very, like, full of crags and crevices and, like, Grand Canyon, but on a mass scale. Full of sugar granules. Yeah, it was really cool, though. 
Um, but one thing we really like about this is when you colonize a planet, so you have your little meeples, which are captains. When you are the one to place the last token on a planet, you can colonize it. So you take your little meeple, you place them on the planet, and you place the appropriate amount of vertium according to the number on the orange moon that is by the planet. I think this is probably my favorite part, which is weird, but I've never seen this in a game. And so it really intrigued me. When you colonize the planet and your moon, you turn it. The moons have a little spot on them and it lines up with the stars around these planets. There's these little star markings. And what happens is once you colonize it, you lock that moon in by lining those stars up. And every one of your turns after that, that moon will rotate either a quarter or an eighth around the planet. What's so cool about this is once that moon gets all the way around the planet back to the beginning, it gains another vertium. So in the early stages of the first part of this game, if you take a planet that's only has two vertium on it, which means it's worth two points, you know, it's not that sought after. If the game goes on quite a while longer, then you could potentially take that two vertium planet and turn it into a six vertium because you've been building it and mining and utilizing this planet long enough that you're gaining resources from it. I think that is a fantastic mechanic, and I think it's my favorite part about the game. Just because you can plan, you can say, okay, the five and six point planet, those are going to be good. I get a lot of resources right up front. But if no one's paying attention and you take two or three two point planets or a two and a three point planet and you let that moon rotate that quarter turn or I guess quarter rotation every turn of yours, you're going to start catching up to the same place the people who take those other planets will be because they won't take them till later and they only move an eighth of a turn. So it's a really cool strategy you can have is instead of fighting over the big planets, take some of the small ones and let them build up resources. Or you can be like me in the first game we played and just take all of them. The first game me and Haley played, I got one of the five planets in the two-player game. She had four. Needless to say, she won the game. But that was, I don't know if that was my fault or you just way outsmarted me. I don't know if I didn't understand the game well enough yet to actually put up a good fight. Don't give me that look. I don't mean that in a rude way. <laughs> I don't know that I had a grasp on the game to actually put up a challenge. I think you had already figured it out and just kind of ran with it. And I'm over there like, dee -da -dee -da -dee. oh, look, a moon. Dee -da -dee -da -dee. It circles the planet. Dee -da -dee. And that's my whole, you know, personality during that. I think we need to take a break and tell a story, story time about Delton. Why? There was like one game night where I kept winning, kept winning, kept winning games. And Delton looks at me seriously after one game and says, you know, I think if I just stop giving you hints, I think that I would actually win. <laughs> oh. So I always... Explain I yourself. Hold on, shit, shit. Don't yell. I always teach the games. I'm the one who owns the, you know, 100 plus, eh, 140 plus games, whatever it's at now. I own a lot of games. I'm the one who teaches them. I'm the one who talks to people, you know, tells them a little bit about the strategy, things like that. So I tend to, during every game I play, I will give pointers or strategy tips to people I'm playing with. And even if they don't need it or don't want it, I'm there saying it. And I think in my mind at that time, at that time, don't give me that look, I think at that time, I was equating my tips and pointers to me losing so often. I was thinking, okay, I keep helping them. I have to quit helping people 
and telling them some of the strategy and showing them some of the things that I know because I play all the time or because I've read the rules. Really, it was rudely like looking down on Haley's strategy and thinking she's not good enough without me. I didn't really mean it that way, but I feel like my hints are still pretty solid. They probably aren't. <laughs> all right, there's two problems with your story there. First of all, you're making it sound like we were playing new games when we weren't. We were playing games we had owned for a while. Second of all, the only hints and strategy you do give is you narrate your entire strategy the entire time we play a game. You're not giving hints to us. You're narrating what you're doing and what your future plans are. So we're just sitting there listening to you narrate your life. <laughs> like, well, I guess Delton's going for that planet right there because you're literally saying, so if I allow a lot of my resources here and then go over here on my next turn, then three turns from now, I can go over here and get that planet. Hmm. I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's not alcoholism, despite what you may think. But that's okay. It's something I've been working on and trying not to do. I still like to narrate my turns. I think for me, that's a way I can verify I'm doing things correctly and everybody understands what I'm doing and nobody thinks I'm cheating. Because I hate when people just buzz through a turn and I have to then figure out what they've done because I do not believe they know the rules, which is another problem of me being the only rules reader. Is that why you hate playing with me? Yes, because I'm always over here narrating your turn <laughs> and my turn. And it's just brutal. Delton is the Morgan Freeman of board gaming. Maybe on our first Kickstarter, we could like have a certain level to where if you donate to that level, you submit a video of you and your friends playing a board game and Delton just narrates it. That I would do that now. That would be hilarious. Like I will pay you to let me narrate your board game. Well, I won't do that. But if anybody sends me a video of them playing a board game, I'm not necessarily going to say I won't do it, but I'm not going to say I will do it. So that's on you. But if you send me something you've got, that would be kind of funny. Show us what you got. Right. All right. Well, back to Veritium so we can finish the description so we can talk a little more about it. So during this phase in Veritium where you're colonizing planets and you're doing a kind of a set collection thing, there are also cards called disaster cards. There are disaster cards for each color. There is also ones for the color black. And they have different special abilities. So the yellow card... If it's a two-player game, your opponent misses two turns, so basically you take two extra turns. And then if it's a three- or four-player game, each of your opponents miss their turn, so you take an extra, just one extra turn. The red card, uh, you pick a player, they have to discard all the red cards they have in their hand. So if you think someone's going for a planet that needs one red token, you can eliminate those cards out of their hand. The blue, you can take a water token off someone's planet that is not already colonized. The green is the one where every single planet that is not colonized loses its green. So it's like there's this virus, which is the name of it. It's like a virus just comes through and wipes out all of the agriculture. So I think that's kind of a really cool theme for that card for sure. And then the Black Raider card, you can either steal a card from somebody's hand, or if you already have a planet and so do they, you can take a Veritium from their planet, put it onto yours. So those are some neat cards you can use. Now, if you have a set of three, you have to play it. However, if you don't have a set of three, you can play one of these disaster cards to just kind of throw in a little extra carnage in the colonization phase. So after all the planets are colonized and everybody has their Captain Meeples out and all of that good stuff, you move into the second part of the game. So at the end of the first part, you add up points. Every Veritium is worth one point and every colonized planet is worth two. 
So if you take one of those two-point planets that's worth two points straight up, and then two for the Vertium that you get, and then every time it gains a new Vertium, it's another point. Whereas someone who takes a six-point planet is going to get eight points initially, two for the planet, six for the Vertium, and it takes so long for the moon to rotate around the planet to earn another Vertium that you can probably catch up fairly quickly on just a two-value planet. So, like I said, that's kind of a really neat thing to think about. But at the end of this first phase, you add up your points, and the one with the most points kicks off the second phase of the game. Conflict. Did you like my low voice there? Your low voice was weird. Conflict. The second phase is the conflict phase. So what this is, is this kind of, to me, is almost a throwback to those older style games, a little bit more like Risk, a little bit of those games you played more as a kid, where you're chunking dice, trying to outroll each other, and see who can take their army and kind of push through the galaxy and take over. But you're also kind of pushing your luck in this. You really are. So the way the conflict works is if you have a planet, let's say, and you've got four Vertium, and you want to attack Haley's planet that has one of her captains and three Vertium, for you to leave your planet, you can leave with anywhere from no Vertium all the way up to all but one Vertium. So with this planet of mine, let's say I've got my planet with four, it's got four Vertium on it, I can take three with my captain, you swap the last one that you left behind out for a new captain to show ownership of the planet, and I can go after Haley's planet where she has a captain and three Vertium. So in that case, we would both have one captain and three Vertium. Now, each player has a set of three skirmish cards. So the way this works, there are the skirmish cards. There are three different skirmish cards. You also get skirmish dice. You get three of them. And you will basically roll them and try to overtake your opponent. On these dice, you have a couple different things. The first thing is you have shields. On a normal dice, this would just be a three and a four. A shield can block one hit from your opponent. All combat is resolved. Attacker, one of their things resolves. Then the defender, one of their things resolves. So this essentially gives the attacker the benefit of starting first. So the attacker will essentially win ties if it came down to a case of captain versus captain, no Veritium left on either side, and someone needs to win the planet. If it was like one person gets all hits, the other person gets all hits, it's going to be the attacker that wins out in that situation. So you have the Photon Blast, which is one or six. That counts as one hit. You have, like I said, the shield, a three or four, which is blocking one hit. And then you have the atomic beams, which is a two or a five. Now it takes two atomic beams to hit your opponent. So when you roll the dice, you can roll one shield, one atomic beam, and one photon blast. Now the photon blast is an instant hit, so you can use it. Now the skirmish cards you have in your hand, there is a photon blast an atomic beam, and a shield. Each combat, you can use each one of those cards one single time during like the entire battle for a planet. So you kind of have to think about when you're going to use those. But what you can do is if you roll and get just one atomic beam, and you have one shield and then one photon blast, you can play the atomic beam from your hand to change that shield into an atomic beam allowing you to then have one more hit. So it gives you a few more options, or you could have played the Photon Blast to turn the Atomic Beam you had into another Photon Blast, so you had two hits and a shield. So it just depends on what you want to do, but you have to realize, too, this card's going to be gone until the planet is decided. This gives you a way to help mitigate some of the dice rolling, and what happens is you're taking that planet. Each hit you take, 
you lose a Veritium. If you have no Veritium left during this attack or defense, and you take another hit, your captain dies. If you are the defender and you die, the attacker then takes your planet. So that will reward them two points at the end. But you have to think, they also lost points in any Veritium that they have lost. So it's kind of like, how much do I take? How much do I keep behind? If I keep any behind and it's a low amount, someone might come attack this planet. So there's a little bit of deciding how much Veritium to send with my captain during the combat. And what happens is you do combat for a planet, the next player goes and they attack a planet, and then the next player goes and they attack a planet, and you do that for three rounds, so it's a limit of three rounds. If you want to, I believe the rules actually do say if you want to, you go till someone controls everything and there's no one left. There's just one person left. I prefer the version where there's the three rounds, and then at the end you add up the points. So even if you don't attack heavily, if you leave enough Veritium behind where you can defend your planets, you can still come out on top, which I think is really cool. During this phase, you do flip over some little extra blue moons, which can give you an extra Veritium, a place for your captain to retreat to, some different things like that. But all in all, you're going to attack each other and fight back and forth with these planets that you have colonized and the Veritium you've gained and farmed and mined. And then whoever has the most points at the end wins the game. And really, that's the whole game of Veritium. It doesn't take long at all. I think me and Haley for a two-player game was, what, 30 minutes? I think so. So it wasn't long to play with three players. It wasn't long to play. The game really does go by, but it's just fun that you get the feeling of colonizing and expanding and attacking in such a short playtime. That makes it really nice because you can play it kind of as a gateway game for a lot of people. And I know that they've marketed it as a gateway space opera sort of a game. Every time you say space opera, I just think of David Bowie. I mean, that makes sense. But where were the spiders? Whatever that just was. But that is Vertium. We enjoyed Vertium. We had a lot of fun with it. We thought it was a really neat game. The moons and stuff, like I said, were very cool. We're not the biggest fans of dice rolling, but with those skirmish cards where you can mitigate it a little bit and it's limited on the amount of turns you have, that really made it more enjoyable toward the end uh, in the, that conflict phase where you have to decide how much Veritium to use. You know, that's a big decision. And the chicken in the beginning, where you're playing chicken, trying to figure out who's going to play the last token. If I play the third, can he play the fourth? You know, it's just been a good time. We very much enjoyed the game. Thumbs up. Thumbs up from us. So we recommend highly checking out Veritium on Kickstarter now by Caper Games, C-A-P-E-R. It's going to be there until... June 27th, and it says it should ship to backers around November. So that's a pretty quick turnaround. You can order it now through Kickstarter, not order it. You can fund, help them fund, crowdfund through Kickstarter now, and then be able to receive it later this year before Christmas. You know, that's a pretty cool deal. It's only $40 US for the base pledge of one game. They also have a two game version for cheaper, like less than 40 per unit. And then there is a large $200 four games all signed version, which I think would really be good for like a local game store. Or Christmas. Or Christmas or something like that. That'd be nice and easy. But that is Vertium. Very cool game. Definitely go to Kickstarter and check it out. It is V-E-R-T-I-U-M. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So before we get into the topic today, we're going to crack open this full sale blood orange wheat ale. Please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Please be good. 
It's already an improvement. It is not all over the floor after being opened, like the last beer. Woo! The bottle opener is sticky and gross now. It also doesn't look like it's very carbonated. I hope, for the love of all that is good in this world, I at least picked one good beer from the liquor store last week. Well, you also bought from the dollar, like, dollar-some beer bin. Well, I wanted to try something new. Ooh, pretty. Looks like beer. Oh, beer. We're going to try this beer out. There is a hint of the blood orange in there. It's not super, super strong, like the uh, Everything Rhymes with Orange from Rough Tail. Right. But I can taste a little bit of that citrusy kind of orange flavor. It's a wheat beer, so it's a lot sweeter. It is a wheat beer. It's a lot sweeter. It has a little bit of the tang that most wheat beers do have. Definitely not gluten-free being a wheat beer. Also definitely not all over Delton's rug. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, beer. Yet. It's not bad. It's pretty good. I don't think it's a favorite or anything, but if someone said, hey, this is only, you know, $3 today on draft, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to find the alcohol content on the package, but I can't. Ah, 5-2. Tasty. Awesome. Well, today's topic is one that hits a little close to home for us, and is something we definitely believe in and think needs to be discussed, and I think is represented pretty well in the board game industry. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, it is basically supporting small local businesses, supporting small businesses, upcoming products, upcoming brands, things like that. As you know, we just started in January, and we've got our first sponsored episode with this one, which is awesome. We're going to have a video on a Kickstarter coming up soon, which is awesome. And we're starting to get some of these things. We feel like we're starting to get support from the people in the industry, some people recognizing us. I feel really grateful for that. Extremely grateful. But at the same time, we also want to support others that do what we enjoy. I have, you know, two people on Patreon that I back. And I back Shut Up and Sit Down. And I did the yearly thing for Stonemeyer Champion. And there's a couple things like that that I like to do. And here and there, there's a website called Ko-Fi, K-O-F-I.com, where essentially the premise is buying someone a coffee. So you donate $3, enough to get them a coffee. And I've done that a couple times. And it's just... The thought of appreciating somebody for the work they do is something that hits home for us, especially living in Oklahoma. There's a very, very strong sense of local business here. We have the Keep It Local program around Oklahoma City area, the metro, and it focuses on bringing more business to small businesses. There's a lot of startups here. With the oil industry being so big, and so booming, people get money to start their own endeavors. You know, people start food trucks, they start different shops, they start restaurants, and the only way to keep those in business are supporting them. This topic really means a lot to me, not necessarily just for board games, but because my parents have always been small business owners. Like, I was put to work at the age of 14 in my mom's Western furniture and clothing store. And so, you know, being among the breadwinners in my family from a young age, because I was an employee of the store. If I made a sale, it was for my family. And I, I feel like I got an appreciation early of how much hard work goes into small businesses, especially like my parents might work full-time jobs and then start their small business on the side and then watch it grow to where they can take it over and that becomes their full-time job. And I watched how much work goes into that and how scary it can be and how much it meant to them whenever mom got a good sale that day or whenever dad got a couple of new clients in his hotshot business, which is an oil field thing. and so. It really makes my heart happy when I see that so many people in the board game industry 
are taking that risk or dedicating that time. You know, like starting a podcast doesn't really take a lot of financial investment, Delton. Well, I felt like it needed it, okay? <laughs> okay. But still, even if you can't dedicate the money, a lot of people in the industry are so passionate about their startup, about their podcast, about their board game, that they're willing to dedicate their time, which is really the most precious resource we have. And Caper Games, today's sponsor, is one of them. This Kickstarter for Vertium is their third game in their catalog. And so a lot of these small companies are getting support from all over the place. These content creators that are starting, these podcasts like us, are starting to get support and people to say, hey, you're doing a good job, keep it up. And it's really nice to see that somebody in this industry, in the board game industry, or in the board game content creation world, the YouTubers, the podcasters can say, I want to do something in this field because I'm passionate about it. And they're going to receive some help, some praise, people giving them pointers, and they're going to be able to make it as long as they put in the time and effort to make a valuable product, you know, which is what we're seeing a lot of. I mean, you go to Gen Con, there were so many booths of game companies. I had no idea who they were. They had three or four games, maybe at most. Some of them just won. It's their first big game. But they sold copies, and they're talking to people, and they're interacting, and they're getting support. And it's so neat to see small companies, board game industry and not, actually get the support they deserve. Which is why I'm really a big fan of Kickstarter, because I think it's helped a lot of people's dreams come true, as lame and cheesy as that sounds. It really has. There's a lot of people that have taken a dream project and thrown it on Kickstarter. It's funded, and they've been able to do it. They've made a book. They've made a game. They've made a piece of clothing they wanted. They you know, were able to make a movie. It's just people's passion projects with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and crowdfunding. They now have a way to enter into the actual space of commercial industry. And there are some arguments against Kickstarter and things like that. I mean, the programs, not the programs, but I guess the platform, does take a small fee from your proceeds and everything like that. And some people just think they need to go the regular publishing route. But really, we've seen a lot of success in Kickstarter and a lot of large stories come out of Kickstarter with very, very, very positive light. And it's nice. It is nice when Delton spends an entire car payment on a Kickstarter for Rising Sun. Don't judge me. You've had fun. Judge. I have had fun. You have had fun. But we really enjoy Kickstarter. Even though sometimes Kickstarter does get into some weird things. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So, the pint sized question for today is What is the strangest thing you have seen that currently is active on Kickstarter? It's very specific. Basically, we wanted to find something stupid on Kickstarter or something we found really weird which may be someone's passion project, and just kind of poke fun at it because it's strange and odd. This one is odd, but it's also awesome. Yes, it is. So I found the Meatless Butcher Box, a mindful meat on a mission. I love his alliterations. That was honestly 15% of why I clicked on his tab. Solid. For you all who don't know, Delton and I are vegans, so we don't eat meat or dairy. We do have eggs, but otherwise we are vegan. And we're cutting out eggs slowly but surely to process. But on Kickstarter, this fellow here has made vegan meats. Now, 
the weird thing is, is that, so, you, you know, you've seen Boca Burgers in the store and you've seen like the Tofurky and the Morningstar brand. They resemble meat. This stuff looks like meat. Like it has the texture of sirloin. It has the crumbliness of ground beef, but it's all vegan and it's grillable and it's cookable. And it's so strange for me to like consider eating a steak again when I've been, we've been vegans for almost a year, but I've been vegetarian for be nine years this year. Jeez, it's a long time. It's a long time. And so I cannot wrap my head around eating this, but at the same time, like this is freaking awesome. So this guy is really neat. If you pledge like $1,400, you get a whole year worth of this meat, which is more protein than I probably eat. I've eaten in the last nine years of my life. It seems really cool. What's the name of it one more time? Meatless Butcher Box. Awesome. It's just neat that we're starting to see vegan options for like a meat taste or a meat texture because that's something you don't get a lot of if I just want a hamburger and you have to go to like Arlo's in Austin, Texas to get a good vegan burger that feels like you're eating a hamburger, hamburger, a hamburger and not just you know, some veggie patty or black beans all mushed together. Look at that. That is a filet mignon. Is that how you say it? Yeah, filet mignon. I've been vegetarian for too long. Yeah, it's a filet mignon, but it's vegan. It is so odd and interesting, but it looks right, doesn't it? It does. It looks like a real steak. I mean, all in all. I'm a little scared. Understandable. It's like that Impossible Burger that's coming out or has been out, and I think we're getting it here in Oklahoma City. It supposedly like cooks and feels and kind of like bleeds and oozes like a real burger, but it's not at all. It's all plant based. Not really sure how to feel about it and not sure if it's safe to eat because the FDA has not approved it. But what are you going to do? F the police. I guess so. Well, I think that's the end of this long episode today. Just as a reminder, this episode was sponsored by Caper Games. Please check out their Kickstarter for Vertium, their brand new game. It has only been running for a couple days when you hear this podcast, so definitely go check it out. Back them. We definitely should invest in the game. I would think so, yeah. I know, you know, if you can only afford $1, $5, whatever you can to support your local board game industry, your local board game person, your local board gamers anonymous, whatever you call it. But really, if you can, check the game out. It will be worth the wait in November. I definitely think so. And like I said, It's on Kickstarter for a bit. You've got about a month to think about it if you have to, but definitely, definitely check it out. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 15. If you want to find us on social media, we are at Malthouse Games across all social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. My personal is at Delton Brack. Haley's personal is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Interact with us a little bit. Give us a tweet, a comment, a like, a share, all that good stuff. Our podcast, wherever you're listening to it at, please give us a thumbs up and a rating. That definitely helps us out. I guess until next time, you guys can just sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>